Welcome to episode three of Agree to Disagree podcast with Phil and Ethan, a weekly podcast on New Center, Maine from now until Election Day. That's right. Our new podcast will come out every Thursday. Each week, we will give you an inside look at what's happening in Maine politics. Although you may think July is the quiet season for Maine politics, nothing could be further from the truth. That's right. This week, we're going to debate debates. How many debates? Should there be debates? A thousand debates, 16 debates, five debates between Sarah and Susan. We debate what Portland's new charter should look like. And we explore why Democrats and Republicans in the legislature are at loggerheads over whether they want to come back into session. We'll also play a little love it, hate it, or wake me up when it's over on topics such as the Republicans' failure to get enough signatures to put ranked choice voting on the ballot and Democrats pushing for the $600 extra payment for unemployment workers. $500,000 those Republicans spent to get that on the ballot. How'd that work out for you, Phil? $500,000. Yeah. Okay, so our producer, start us off. Well, let me just real quick, we also are going to do a little tribute to John Lewis, and we're also uh, going to um, have a little trivia question on Maine politics. So uh, before we dive in, all right, Schoolsy, sorry, go ahead. As Speaker of the House, as Speaker of the House, as Speaker of the House, I solemnly and sadly open the debate. All right. Once again, leading off our debate this week is the top race in Maine, Madam Speaker versus Madam Senator, Speaker Gideon versus Senator Collins. A day after the dust settled, Speaker Gideon challenged Senator Collins to five debates. Senator Collins struck back with a 16-debate schedule, one in each county, including scheduling one that very night. So, Phil, is all of this just posturing? How many debates should there be? Where's this thing going to land? Well, uh, I, I would also point out that while Speaker Gideon proposed five debates, she didn't actually contact the Collins campaign and officially offer that invitation. Having done it through the media, such as it was, I think Senator Collins' decision to come back and say, let's have a debate in every county in Maine so that we can introduce ourselves up front and personal to every county in, in the state. I think that's a wise strategy for Susan Collins. No one knows the state of Maine better than Susan Collins. She has a 20-plus year track record of building relationships. Uh, I think that's to her advantage to have those debates in a place where Sarah Gideon may actually be showing up for the first time in her life. Uh, look, you know, I, I, I actually like the idea of 16 debates, but you can't say that Senator Collins' response was uh, serious in any way, shape or form. She said, let's do one tonight, uh, you know, two hours from the time, didn't have a place, anything like that. Look, this is just a lot of posturing. If we were playing uh, love it, hate it, wake me up when it's over. I'd say, wake me up when it's over. This is just two campaigns duking it out. Look, I think as many debates as we can have. It, it, if Senator Collins really wants to do 16 debates, which I, I'm skeptical of because, remember, she hasn't had a single uh, public event in the state of Maine, a single public hearing in Maine, a town hall meeting since she was elected 20 years ago. But if she wants 16 debates in 16 counties, uh, if I'm Sarah Gideon, I would say in a heartbeat, I'll take it. Uh, let's begin it. Let's wait till after Labor Day, give ourselves some time to uh, prepare for it. But two a week for eight weeks, that'd be some good television right there. 
<laughs> well, we'd have something to talk about. Actually, we could have agree to disagree twice a week rather than once a week. Yeah. Um, here's, yeah. here's where I think this all shakes out. The more debates, the better it is for Susan Collins, for all the reasons that I stated. She knows the state so well. She has relationships everywhere that she can point to to say, I'm in touch. I'm not based in Washington, uh, et cetera. But I, I also think the bigger picture is an opportunity for Senator Collins to have Sarah Gideon introduce herself to the rest of the state. And I think that's where uh, the, uh, the divide is going to be, because if you look at the policies of Sarah Gideon, they are very progressive, very liberal, and they are not going to play well, particularly in the, in the second con congressional district. And I think that's Susan Collins' opportunity to say she's too extreme. I am totally connected and in touch with every part of the state of Maine in which I represent. And I think that gives the yeah. edge to Susan Collins. Yeah, look, I mean, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I don't think it's bad for Susan Collins to do 16 debates. My issue is simply that she hasn't had a town hall in 20 years. It'll be good to have her in front of some crowds. She is good. Uh, I think Sarah Gideon is good, too. Uh, look, I mean, she may be progressive. She's a Democrat, but she ain't she ain't Portland progressive. She ain't, you know, like my kind of Portland lefty liberal. But um, I think she's, um, you know, she's pretty middle of the road, solid for a Democrat. And I think as people get to know her better, uh, again, I'd take Susan Collins up on it. 16 debates all over the state, like you said. We'll be doing podcasts out the wazoo. <laughs> Real quickly, the other side, but there's a big difference between a, a town hall and a debate. A debate is very structured. A town hall can be run over by special interest groups. Okay, let's move on. Strim, did you yeah. know that another of my election predictions came true? The people of Portland overwhelmingly approved a charter commission for the city. For those of you in the arcane minutia of municipal law, that means that Portland will reopen its constitution to examine if they want the elected mayor to run the city. So, Strim, my take is that opening on the charter was clearly a call for a stronger mayor. What about you? Yeah, no doubt about it. And look, you know, uh, you you predicted this one. I did not think this was going to pass. I was being optimistic, saying it would lose by 10 points, honestly. Uh, just incredible, though. 72% of the people of the city, Black Lives Matter, Progressive Portland, Fair Elections, all these groups called for uh, people to vote for this. They stepped up and they were all clear that they were saying open open the constitution of the city of Portland to create a real elected mayor. Look, I've been on the inside. I've been on the outside. We've been fighting for 20 years to try to create a real elected mayor who is actually able to run the city, you know, propose a budget for the council to consider implement that budget, bring up policies, create a vision for the city, but put that vision in front of the council and have the council then deliberate, just like a legislature does. You have a governor, the governor proposes, the legislature disposes. The same should happen. You know, I, I actually believe the council should have more power as well. The council is pretty powerless as it stands because 90% of the power is in the unelected city manager. That's gotta go. So uh, with all due respect, you governed as mayor as though that's what the charter said. Mm. And as a result of it, I think you would agree in hindsight, you just brought on a lot of controversy, whether it was from your fellow city councilors or the city manager, and that never got sorted out. So from afar, because of course I don't vote in Portland, but I live in, you know, 10 miles north of there. 
it appeared to me caring enough about how government works, looking in is how you were running the city that, that the uh, city manager said, hey, as far as I'm concerned, the city charter or city constitution, if you will, leaves me as the chief executive officer. You as the elected mayor said, no, 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 the people of Portland elected me as mayor and I'm going to be in charge. And I think for the people of, of greater Portland and certainly in Portland proper, watched this unfold for the last several years and said, we got we to gotta redo this and make it very clear who's in charge. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that is clear. We could debate forever what I was doing or what I wasn't doing. Obviously, you know, from my perspective, people look to their mayor as the leader of the city, the minutia that we got involved in. And the problem is the council becomes the arbiter as to where uh, where the authority lies and, and they just have a conflict of interest. So uh, I've, I often said to people when I was mayor, look, go back to the old way or go go to the a real mayor because what you've got right now is people believing that they have an elected mayor that's leading the city and doing everything and a city council that's blocking that from happening so let's create a clear charter that makes it just like most cities in the in the United States they have a mayor they run the city you throw the mayor out if you don't like the way they're running the city you get rid of councilors if you don't like the policies they pass I couldn't agree with you more, and I, I hope that as they bring a new charter commission together, that that's a very clear part of their charge to come back with specific language and recommendations to determine exactly who runs the city and give, uh, if, if it's the, the mayor, give him or her uh, the clear authority to do the things that you said, establish a budget, getting it approved by the council, overseeing the execution of the decisions that the city council makes so that people really can reach out to their mayor and get action. All right, Phil, uh, last subject. So a month ago, Republicans were banging on the state house windows, demanding that the legislature come back into session to revisit the emergency powers the legislature gave to Governor Mills and to offer solutions around the COVID pandemic. Well, now the Democrats are agreeing that it's time to come back into session Republicans are saying not so fast. Phil, what's going on here? Why are Republicans not willing to come back into session after at first saying they were? <laughs> you are so artful in your political style, Ethan. Here, here's, here's the rest of the story. The Republicans do want to come back into session. The Democrats do want to come back into session. Here's the distinction. The Democrats want to limit the scope of the discussion in the session to a very narrow focus. The Republicans are saying, we got hundreds of bills, we have financial issues uh, arising. The governor has issued 50, 50 executive orders since the legislature abruptly adjourned back in March. Republicans are saying, we're gonna take back our legislative responsibility to do our job on behalf of the constituents we represent, which is all over the state of Maine. There's 186 legislators who are authorized by their election and raising their right hand, take the oath of office to do their job. Republicans want to get back to work, do their entire job. Democrats want a narrow focus. I, you know, I understood it a little differently than that. My understanding is that, look, when Democrats and Republicans agreed to adjourn, the deal was that they would come back and finish up all the bills that they've got, all these things that are in committee. And Republicans are the ones who are saying we want to limit it to just focusing on COVID, just focusing on sort of uh, some of the budget issues, whereas Democrats are saying, no, we've got a lot of issues we want to deal with in this legislature. So 
you know, I, I'm not sure what you're hearing, what I'm hearing, but it sure seems to me that there's a lot of posturing going on. And what the people in Maine don't want is gridlock. Somehow or another, right now what we know is there was a vote that was taken and Republicans did not show up, did not participate in the vote in order to go back into session to create a problem with quorum. They should have at least stepped up and said yes or no. And if they did, if they said no, fine. But if there were the votes to go back in, okay. But just saying, I'm not going to participate, I'm going to abstain. That's just, uh, you know, that's simply saying, I, I'm not going to do my job. I'm, I'm going to take my paycheck and I'm not going to do my job. Yeah, I, I on that point, I have to agree with you, Ethan. Plus, it gives uh, fodder to your side of the debate to say, hey, you know, we we couldn't even get them to show up and have the conversation, let alone ultimately determine what uh, the, the agenda is going to be for the session. Here, here is what I think everyone can agree. Day by day, running the state by one person who's got a power of executive order is not what Maine people want. It, the legislature has to come back into session and get back to work. Yeah, I think that's fine. And, you know, we I think we needed the executive powers. Republicans, Democrats agreed at the time because they had to get out of session to make sure they're not spreading COVID and all that and being safe, just like everybody else. And that was good. And I you know, we've debated this. I think Janet's done a good job. But now is time to get back to work. We needed that when we needed it. And I think even Janet would say, fine, um, let's move out of emergency and go into just uh, making sure we can govern. All right. Now we're into one of our favorite segments. Love it, hate it, or wake me when it's over. All right, Phil, uh, as you know, the rules of the game are each of us mentions a topic and then the other one declares whether they love it, whether they hate it, whether they want to wake up when it's over. And then the other person gives their take on the same thing. All right. Go Let's ahead. Go the main GOP spent a million bucks to gather signatures to overturn ranked choice voting only to come up short. Senator, love it, hate it, or wake me when it's over. Well, you know, actually it was half a million bucks, not a million bucks, but yeah, they spent half a million. I love oh, it. Right. Yeah. You know, look, I just love it because it means you didn't spend half a million trying to defeat Democrats and you know, what a waste of money. It wasn't public money. Private people wanted to give to it. That's just fine. I, I, I love seeing Republicans waste money. Oh, oh, how little information you actually have. The Republicans put forward a her Herculean effort to get the signatures during COVID-19. They actually had to attract signature signers to come to the petition. Normally, the petition gatherers go to the people. That tells you how much appetite there was for this issue. And the uh, Secretary of State, uh, so far as we know today, uh, declared 7,000 signatures invalid. It appears as though it was because technicalities maybe in the town clerk's office. I don't think this conversation is done yet, Ethan. There's more details to come, and we might actually still see this on the ballot. Oh, I like that little inside info. I didn't even know. All right. Uh, next one up. Senator, Governor, uh, sorry, Senator, you're the Senator. Governor yes. Mills laid out a, uh, guidelines for communities to use as they decide whether to reopen schools, basically leaving it to the districts. Love it. Hate it. Wake me when it's over. Uh, wake me and it's over. These are, as you said in the question, guidelines. Towns and uh, school boards and superintendents uh, have the you know, the power to determine when they're going to open schools, how they're going to open schools. 
these are guidelines that they'll probably uh, you know refer to, but uh, ultimately it's a local control decision. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, uh, I, I'm I like what she did. I do think you're right in the sense that this really is something that we just need to wait and see. So it's hard to judge whether these were good guidelines or not. What I'm hearing, it sounds like people are pleased with the guidelines, but we obviously have a little bit of time before we're really going to know whether this was the right thing to do. Okay, up next, it took the Secretary of State a week to count the ranked choice votes and make a final determination as to who won the second congressional district Republican primary, as well as a number of other state legislative races around the state. Strim, love it, hate it, or wake me when it's over. No, I think you're going to be surprised. I hate it. This just takes too long. You know, I, I don't, I, I'm frustrated by it. In Portland, we do the ranked choice voting right there that day. It really is not that hard. I realize it's a bigger deal than simply one city, but we have to get up to speed. People have voted for ranked choice voting over and over again. They want it, but we should not have to wait a week to figure out who won these races. Yeah, I hate it as well. This uh, There's this whole ranked choice voting, and now that we've gone into our second election cycle, using it continues to show the flaws, the delays, the fact that the people who are uh, ultimately determined the winner, at least in last year's race with uh, Jared Gold, two years ago with Jared Golden and Bruce Poliquin. Uh, Jared Golden did not get a majority of the votes. I hate it. Yeah. All right, next. Mitch McConnell is saying that Congress should not renew the additional $600 in unemployment compensation in the next economic recovery package. Senator Collins seems to be saying she agrees. Strim, love that. Phil, love it. Hate it. Wake me when it's over. Sorry. I'm Phil, you're Strim. I know. Sometimes I feel like I'm just talking to myself here, brother. <laughs> you know, I actually, I, I love it. Not, not because of the uh, impact it would have on the people who are receiving the $600 a week. I love it because we need to take away the incentive for people not to work. And when you can be eligible for unemployment benefits plus $600 additional benefits and you're making more money not working than going back to work, I don't think that's the message we need to uh, uphold in, in America. And it's not fair to the workers who are showing up and going to work every day who are making less money than if they stayed home and took advantage of these public benefits. Well, you got to remember, this is still a very small amount of money in the end. It's, you know, barely getting people above water. Uh, it, there's just no evidence that this is where people are saying, I'm not going to go to work because I'm getting unemployment, which is going to be short term and is going to go away at some point, no matter what. You know, that would just be a dis dumb decision for somebody to give up a long term job to stay on something they know that's going to disappear. People are struggling out there. There aren't jobs. We don't want people going back into unsafe workplaces. You've got to maintain uh, this basic benefit, at least for another three or four months. So I hate it. Sturm, this week, the great civil rights leader, Congressman John Lewis, passed away. Nothing to love about his passing or hate about his life. So how about just a, a few reflections, if you will? Did you ever get to meet Congressman Lewis? I did a couple of times, actually. Uh, I did when I was down in D.C. working for Tom Andrews. After that, I worked um, in a local organization that was trying to 
train young progressives. And uh, Congressman Lewis came and spoke to us, spoke to the people that we had brought into Washington. And he also came to Maine, you might remember, uh, with Tom Allen back in 2008, I think. And he came to Learning Works and he met with some of our kids and they went to the Abyssinian Meeting House, the third oldest African-American meeting house in the country and talked to some of the young folks, just a remarkable leader. You know, my kind of guy, he liked to cause a little bit of trouble around the edges in terms of uh, trying to make sure policy gets through. Well, you're very fortunate. I didn't have the pleasure of meeting him personally, but certainly from afar. I grew up in the era of the assassination of uh, Pastor Martin Luther King, and uh, it was Congressman Lewis, then probably the youngest civil rights uh, activist, part of uh, King's inner circle who crossed over that bridge to what we know today as uh, the March to Freedom, if you will. And um, what a legacy. I think he was arrested over 50 times for peaceful civil uh, disobedience, holding true to his beliefs and his passions and his belief in America and what could be. Um, what a what a legacy he has left. Yeah, he really, you know, he was only 23 years old when he was spoke at the March on Washington uh, right there in front of Lincoln. Just a remarkable speech. If you've never seen it, you should. It was great. Yeah. The clock has run out. The buzzer is sounding. Okay, Strim, we're going to move on. As we do each week in honor of Maine's bicentennial year, we're going to ask a Maine political trivia question. Here's last week's question. We all know Maine women got the right to vote in 1919 with the passage of the 19th Amendment. But in what year did women earn the right to serve in elected office? Did you get the right answer? I did. I did. It was 1921 uh, in Maine. Did you know how the right to run for office was earned, though? Uh, Was it an act of the legislature or did it go on the ballot for a referendum vote? It did neither. Unfortunately, I wish. Uh, In fact, a couple of years before that, the uh, there was a vote on the issue of women being able to vote and it lost two to one. Of course, it was only men who were voting at that time. It was an act of the state Supreme Court. They decreed that women must now be allowed to run. Wow. Every once in a while, an activist court does the right thing. I'm impressed. (laughs) You see? You see? Sometimes the courts have got to step in when the legislature can't get it done. All right. Let's do this week's question. I kept it. uh, Let's see. No, we're going. We're now uh, going back to the beginning of Maine. Maine had four governors in our first two years as a state. Can you name any of the four and why they kept resigning? So just to be clear, he had four governors in two years. Now each governor serves four years, four in two years, and it was not because nobody filled out their full term just to make sure. So it wasn't like we only had one-year terms that time. Wow, very interesting. Well, we all know Maine's first governor was William King. But there were the other three. Uh, that's going to be tough. Um, I'm going to have to take a week to figure it out. Did the that first governor was he there when did he swear you in for your first game? <laughs> Speaking of swearing, this up, I'm going to start swearing at you. <laughs> All right, Donald, tell us how do we do this week? Your fake news. Don't Why be rude. <laughs> we'll see you next week, folks. Hey, hey, Phil, nice haircut too, by the way. Looking tight. Right there. Thanks. Good. Thanks, buddy. Built for speed now. <laughs> yeah.